Good morning, Grace Church family. Good morning. Oh, good. Oh, good. Didn't work for Chris, didn't work for Mark, I, and it only worked when I did it the second time. So, you know, good morning. This is the ninth message from Philippians, and it's the last one that we're going to do because we're going to finish the letter this morning. And I see you've all gone back to sitting in your normal places. I tried to shake you up last week even by getting the direction wrong, as several of you pointed out to me, and I figured it out when I got in my car, and my car said I was going a different direction than I thought I was. But anyway, so this is the ninth and final message, and it's a message. Aren't you excited? It's a message about money and giving. Aren't you excited? Well, not only does that sometimes make people nervous, many times it makes preachers nervous to preach it. But here's been my deal since the Lord called me to be a pastor and to be a preacher. I want to preach what this says. And I didn't just pick out this passage because I thought, okay, these people need to know about money and about giving. It's right in the flow. I didn't preach the other eight messages just to get to this one. But this is where we are this morning as we conclude uh, the studies in, uh, in Philippians. I want to be faithful to God's word, and I hope you want to be faithful to hear and to obey what God's word says. So we're at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, and this is a thank you note that the Apostle Paul writes to the church uh, in Philippi for the financial gift and the support that they sent him. And in his thanks to them, uh, he includes more history between him and the church, and he lets us see his attitude towards money uh, that enabled him to minister, even though he was in prison and possibly facing death. Uh, there are going to be two money principles in this chapter, and I want to point those out right here at the beginning. You can see them on the screen. Be content with what we have. Why don't you read that back to me, okay? Be content. And then the second one is, God will supply all we need. Be content with what we have, and God will supply all we need. Those two principles apply to money, but they be, apply far beyond that as well. So let's pick it up in uh, Philippians chapter 4, and I'll read beginning at verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length, or at last, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 
The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to see your word and through seeing your word to see you and to respond by worship and by obedience. So first we're going to look at Paul and the church and then we'll apply the the principles out of it. And he says in verse 10, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned, but you had no opportunity. Paul's going to say later on in verses 15 and 16 that they gave to support him. Verse 15, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. How would you like to go out as a missionary and the only church to support you is, is one church? But they supported him over and over again. Verse 16, once and again, uh, time passed, and I don't know what it was that was their reason for not not supporting him, but uh, maybe they didn't know where he was. Maybe they didn't have a copy of his itinerary. Maybe his itinerary kept changing. Uh, but they seemed to have heard that he was in jail. Uh, maybe they didn't have anybody that they could send to visit him in, in jail in Rome. But either way, at this point now, Epaphroditus has brought money, and Paul wrote to thank them for their generous gift. Now, I'm sure I don't need to remind you that as that I've made the case all through this letter, that the prime reason that Paul wrote to address the church had to do with this division between Yodia and Syntyche, our two elders' wives sitting on opposite side of the church. Uh, But he also tells them of his condition. Uh, He's in prison, but the gospel's advancing. Uh, He might die, but for him that would be better by far. Uh, But then he talks about this this Epaphroditus in chapter 2, verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. And then here he says in chapter 4, verse 18, I have received full payment and more. He brought the whole gift. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. It's interesting that in this thank you note, he never uses the word thank you. I rejoiced greatly. He's very glad about the gift that they've sent, um, but, it, but it sounds like the fact that he is content is almost more like, well, I didn't need the money, but thank you for the money anyway. But I, I really didn't need it, but, but I want to assure you I'm, I'm thankful for it, but I really didn't need it. I was content without it, but I'm so thankful that you sent it. It's almost like he's torn going back and forth on those. Now, part of the reason for that is that in the first century, the context in the first century is there were a lot of fake preachers, prophets going around to different cities and they would raise money and they would expect that the people would support them. Paul, as he's going around, looks like one of them, but he's very careful to use what he receives for, for evangelism, for spreading the gospel, and he always acted in a way that would not hinder the gospel. He was very careful to handle the money that he was given in the right way. There's so many principles in this for how a church should handle their money in in Paul's uh, method that he did. So he appreciates the gift, but he's not motivated by money. He's not in this for the money. He says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Do you like that word content? That word content means 
I'm satisfied. I have everything that I need. I don't need anything else. How can Paul, <laughs> again, he's in prison. He might be executed. How can Paul say, I'm content? It leads into verse 13, which we all know very well, Philippians 4.13. But in the context of it, he says, I can do all things, finish the verse for me, through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in all situations through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need more. I'm okay with not having anything, uh, but I don't need more. I, I am content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the context is I can be content whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. I can be content whether, whether I see God doing a lot or whether I don't see him doing anything. I can be content. Is this another way that Paul seeks unity by his emphasis that even, in re, even with regard to money, he is content. He's seeking unity in the church. Verse 14, he says, you share my trouble. The word share comes, the root of it is the word koinonia, which means to participate, to share. They had a long time of, of appreciation and association with Paul and of support with him. Verse 15, we saw, he, uh, you were the only church who supported me in giving and receiving. Some people and some churches are really good at and, and participating in receiving only, but Philippi had received and given. They administered to him while he was at other churches, verse 16, even in Thessalonica. He wrote a glowing report to the church in Corinth about how the Philippians had uh, supported him. Uh, I'm going to put these next two verses on the screen, uh, 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's where Philippi was. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... Do you, do you put those, you see putting those two together? In their time of affliction, there was, in, in, in a, uh, their, a, a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I mean, to us, those terms and phrases don't even go together. But Paul saw it in them, and he had probably modeled it himself, and so let's go to the next two verses. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I don't know what your attitude is about the offering, but do you beg the church, please take this offering, or we really want to give this offering? And it came out of this severe affliction time of persecution. Because you know the church started when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison in Philippi. Out of this severe affliction, their joy overflowed in their generous giving. 1 Thessalonians indicates that when Paul was in a church or planting a church in a city, he would not receive support from that church. But once he left that church, he was willing to receive support in order to spread the message of the gospel. And the church at Philippi had this history of ministering to him. Verse 16, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And now, now he wants them to minister to him again by working out this disagreement to be of the same mind in Christ Jesus. Now here we come to one of our phrases from uh, Revelation study this morning. Revelation chapter 8 we were in this morning. Paul uses these Old Testament terms to speak of the gifts, the fragrant offering that Mark was trying to preach the sermon during the Sunday school hour on me. 
the sweet smell of God. That, that uh, in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 1, the, the burnt offerings were um, an aroma pleasing to the Lord, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. That's also the same language that's in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. That our giving ourselves as living sacrifices is an offering that's pleasing to God. A sacrifice that God accepts and is more, uh, and, and that uh, pleases God is more significant to Paul than his own comfort. He would rather have them give a gift that pleases God and is acceptable to him even than to minister to his own comfort. Verse 19, and he turns it around and we saw this cycle this morning as well as prayers go up to God, God responds to the prayers in judgment. I was thinking during the class that um, the prayers that God is especially answering in, in Revelation chapter 8 are prayers for God. Where are you? Why am I going through the difficulties and especially the persecution? And he responds with judgment. But now in verse 19 here he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says the same Jesus who enabled him to do everything, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, no matter what the circumstances are, the same Jesus who enables him to do everything will meet their needs, whatever their needs are, no matter what they are. So we go back to verses 11 and 12, to the link to that, no matter the circumstance, whether plenty or need, well-fed or hungry, or whether Paul's in prison or he's free, whether he's life or death, all of these, when we see them, we tend to think that the bad things, well, God must have forgotten about me. Let me tell you and assure you, absolutely guaranteed, God has not forgotten about you. And whenever you feel that way, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look how God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still his enemies, while we were in the act of being his enemies, Christ died for us. The cross shows that he has not abandoned us. So Paul in this passage gives seven reasons. I didn't realize it until this morning, so that's why it only says reasons to give, but I counted them and there are seven of them. Seven reasons to give for the Church of Philippi, but for us as well. Here are reasons to give our offering. Do we realize the, all of these? Verse 10, it gives joy to those to whom we give. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But when you give a gift to someone, it, it, it gives joy to them. That's one reason to give. Verse 10 also shows, it shows concern for others, especially in God's family. We'll come back to this later on. It shows when we give, it shows that we have concern for the family of God. Verses 11 and 12, it meets the needs of others. It may share in their trouble. Somebody's going through a financial difficulty and we, and we give to them and we, we support them. It shows that we're sharing with them. We're helping to carry the burden with them, getting into the yoke with them. Verse 15, it gives back to God what we've received from God and what we've received from the gospel. Uh, verse 17, it says, it credits our account. It, it implies that God keeps accounts. And it, when we give, God credits our account uh, with that. And then verse 18, as we saw, it's a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When you think about the Old Testament and you think about those offerings that were brought and the, the, the fact that the, uh, the meat that was burned was combined with the incense and that was pleasing to God, God would, would smell it as he smelled the world 
and how wicked it was before the flood, he would smell those offerings as an acceptable sacrifice to him. Our giving our offering smells to God like a, ah, that's good, that's good. And then verse 19, our giving our offering opens up for opens us up for God to meet our needs as we meet the needs of others. Let's bring this down to us now. A lot of people think that money is neutral. A lot of Christians think money is neutral. It can be used for good or for evil. And I think to a certain extent that's true. But scripture is very clear to warn us against wealth. One of my favorite prayers from Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9. I'm just going to read this one to you. You can jot down the references up there from the screen. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. This is a prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Jesus warned against wealth, Matthew 19, 23, Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And don't, don't change that picture. Uh, Luke 16, 13, You cannot serve God and money. And James 5, 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Wow. People, most people thought that being wealthy was a sign of God's blessing. And James writes, watch out uh, the miseries that are coming upon you. So Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20, is the antidote for the danger of wealth. Paul does not look for contentment in the gift of money. It will alleviate his discomfort but, and, and meet a need, but Paul says, I, I could do without. I want us to see three lessons uh, about the, um, for the antidote for the danger of wealth that Paul gives us here in these verses. Number one, we saw it right at the beginning, be content with what God has given us. Now, the, the pagan word for content means be self-sufficient. You're satisfied within yourself. But Paul means by it that he is Christ-sufficient. Paul is content because he saw life from God's view. He knew what he was supposed to be, he knew what he was supposed to have and not have, and he was glad for all God gave him, and he was thankful for it, but his focus was on, and I think it's the same for us, our focus needs to be on, what does God want me to do? And then he will take care of what I need. Our focus is not to be on what we think that we need. When we want more than what God has given us, it's usually because we think something is missing inside of us that can be satisfied by getting more. Um, but unless what is missing is God, and we identify it as God, nothing that comes into our lives will ever satisfy. I, I am a sports fan. Any uh, University of Kentucky basketball fans in the, in the audience this morning, did you notice that both the men and the women were eliminated in the first round? Did you notice that? I mean, if you put your hope in sports, it's incredibly discouraging. Not that I've ever experienced this, but sometimes even when your team wins the whole national championship, they have to come back and do it again the next year or it's empty and frustrating. Again, sports is incredibly frustrating. We'll never find, I will never find my contentment in that and sometimes my life goes up and down like that is what would bring me contentment. How, here's how to be content with what we have. And here are, here are five things. I'm just, 
just the, the essence of them is on the screen. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All that we have is a gift from him. Um, and, and what I should do is have you take a deep breath and understand that breath is from him. This morning. Every breath we have is from him. And having just been up in the hospital for, for a couple of weeks and watching people up there and understanding again, every breath is a gift from God. Secondly, give thanks for what we have. That counters coveting for what we don't have by giving thanks for what we do have. Third, ask for wisdom to use what God has given us, to use it wisely. Ask, ask him for the wisdom to do that. Fourth, pray for the grace to let go of the desire for what we do not have. I think it's just human nature that we always want more than what we have, but pray for grace to let go of that desire. And finally, trust God to meet our needs. And then we have to distinguish between what our wants and our needs are, because God promises to meet our needs, does not promise to meet our wants, and our discontent means that we do not trust God. Let me read some verses from 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can just listen to them. The love of money, I'm sorry, back up in verse 6. Now there is a great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. You never see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. just doesn't work that way. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and des destruction. For the love of money... It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I know, sometimes I think it and probably some of you think it, yeah, but I'd, I'd like to try that temptation for a while. I'd like to try to be wealthy for a while. Um, no, heed God's warnings. Do I believe that God will give me everything that I need? Secondly, understand material things are from God. Walk with Jesus and trust him. Paul says, verses 12 and 13, I know how to be brought low. I know how to have nothing. I know how to abound. I know how to have lots of things. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In verse 19, my God, this is his promise, my God will supply every need of yours. Every need of yours, my God, will supply according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I can learn to be content through the Christ who strengthens me. Do I believe that God has and will give me all that I need? And, and I, I look at Paul, and he's in prison. He may be executed. And if I were Paul in that situation, I would say, hey, God, here's a list of my needs. Uh, I need to get out. I, I need to be pain-free. I need to be free. Uh, I need to be away from this situation. And that, that would be my list of needs. And then God says, Paul, here's what your real needs are. And I think the same thing. We go to God and we say, God, here's what I think my needs are. And then God says, well, here's what I think your needs are. Now, who needs to adjust their list? Should I adjust my list or should God adjust his list? We need to learn to rely on God's promises by his power. I can do all things through Christ. I, I trust him in this. 
it may be that God, in Paul's case, was going to give him grace to die, to be executed. And then the third thing I think that helps us get away from that uh, dependence on wealth or the third uh, antidote for the danger of wealth is to learn to depend on Christ. To detach from non-essentials to concentrate on the eternal. Where the Lord led Paul, he had the power that only comes from being in the will of God. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I see this post that I, I saw it on one of the basketball players yesterday. He had a tattoo on his shoulder, Philippians 4.13. I, I, I want I I us to understand that does not mean I can do everything I want to do through Christ who strengthens me. What it means is I can do everything God wants me to do through Christ who strengthens me. Everything within the will of God, including be content with what we have. I reject the teaching of prosperity preachers who offer success formulas from the Word of God. I want to read a quote that is, comes from a prosperity preacher. I won't give his name. There are certain rules governing prosperity revealed in God's Word. Faith causes them to function. They will work when they are put to work, and they will stop working when the force of faith is stopped. The scary part to me is that puts us in control instead of God, takes the initiative away from God. It implies that we get to tell God what he should and shouldn't do, because if we do it this way, then God has to do it. Paul did not live that way by telling God what he had to do, nor did Jesus. The danger of wealth is it can persuade us to do something that's not right. It can lead us away from depending on God. There is this uh, continuum, and you can see it on the uh, screen up here. On, on one side is God, and on the other side is money. Jesus says, read, read what it says under the continuum there. You, you what? You cannot serve God and money. But how many of us think that, well, Oh, okay, but I can go a little ways over on that continuum, right? I mean, I, I don't have to only be on serving God. I could serve God and money a little bit. Not what Jesus says. Jesus says you can't. You cannot serve God and money, even to a small extent. Money says, God says I cannot. I think I can. Who's right? Who's right? God or me? How much money? How much do we serve money? How much do we work to afford the lifestyle that we want? Well, if our work comes before family or before God, that would never be Jesus' way of doing things. The most powerful and best exercise to counter the danger of wealth is to give it away to those in need. Paul writes in Galatians 6, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. In Romans 11, 35 and 36, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Whatever we're going to give has come from God in the first place. You want a great exercise for your heart? We're extra conscious of this, the, the heart these days, for, for some reason. Do you want a great exercise for the heart? Take your tithe check and put it in the offering, which is my intent this morning. I just wanted to use this as an illustration. That's a great exercise for the heart.
because, and, and I believe that the tithe, I think I can make a, a, a case scripturally that the tithe, the 10% belongs going to the church first and then comes offering the sacrifice for others. All of our married life and started before we were married, all of our support financially for the church is at least as important in our spiritual growth and development. It does at least as much for us, as much good for us as it does for those that we give to. Being faithful in that. Um, and I, I think that one of the best things we can do uh, for is giving to the church because it's an expression of unity of the church. It's an expression of submission to the church. Because when we give for the church to decide how it's going to be used, it takes the control away from us making those decisions. I mean, I grant you, we make decisions as members of the church, so, so we do have that little bit of input, but really it's, it's an expression of unity and it's a uh, an expression of submission and humility. So finally, Paul ends verse 21, greet every saint. You know, I, I love this, because you remember the first sermon I preached from Philippians chapter 1 was, hey, all y'all, this is to all y'all. Well, this is how he ends it up as well. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. <laughs> this little phrase, especially those of Caesar's household. One more glimpse of the impact the power, the penetration of the gospel advance uh, as, as people were faithful in, as Paul was faithful in his witness, the witness even got into Caesar's household. Verse, chapter 1, verse 12 has really served to advance the gospel even into Caesar's household. The gospel advance is what we can accomplish most and best as each of us is faithful to give. So two questions as we finish Philippians. Two questions, one from the entire book. Which is more important to me? My comfort or advancing the gospel? Which is more important to me? Which is more important to you? My comfort, my prosperity, or advancing the gospel? Paul says he's in prison, that's okay, the gospel's going out. He might die, that's okay, the gospel's going out. And the second question comes from here at the end of chapter 4. Which is more important to me? All the saints or me? Which is more important to me? What am I going to do about it? So I want to pray Paul's benediction over us this morning. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.